Okay. Um, so we're talking today about the courage that it takes to follow God and what's been going on with this family, what's been going on with a number of you. Um, you know that it takes courage. It's not an easy thing, no matter how much you see it in the media and with the television preachers and so on. It's not an easy thing to follow God and follow God well uh, because life's hard. And so if you're going to follow God, it is not something that's going to leave you being passive. It's not for the squeamish. It's not for the challenge averse. It's not for those that just love prosperity and therefore I'll follow God because he'll prosper me. When you follow God, there's going to be some very difficult, some very uh, demanding episodes in life that you will go through. And that is not a sign that he has abandoned you in those moments. Rather, he is with you in those moments. And that's what we're going to talk about over these next few moments. Today, we're talking about the courage it takes to follow God when your convictions about him are failing. They're faltering. They have been struck a blow. Doubt has crept in. What do you do at that kind of time? And I want to ask this question for you to answer. What's going on when you ask God to do something? And he doesn't. Now, we've said that in here before with respect to Todd and Bree and to Hayden. We ask that God would bless this child with a successful heart transplant. And all the indicators are he did. And we're we're grateful about that. We give thanks about that. What if he didn't? Would that have been some kind of signal that God was inattentive to their circumstance and their plight? Would that have been a signal that God didn't really care because he didn't respond in the way that we asked? Or would it have been an indicator, well, he he was attentive, he did care, but for whatever reason he was just late and he, he, he didn't get it done in time. See, I want you to ask that about your own circumstance, your own situations. What are you asking questions about with respect to your marriage or your lack of a marriage or your children or your lack of children or your job or your lack of a job or your health or your lack of health? What are you grappling with God about? And you've been asking him things and it just doesn't seem like he's being responsive. Is that an attention problem? Is that a care problem? Is that a timing problem? What's going on? Well, we have a case study that we're going to be looking at today that's going to help us to answer that question. And the person that is our case study was said of Jesus to be the greatest man who ever lived. You know who that is? We're going to be reading some of his story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, and in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. Let me encourage you to get your Bible and open it up to Mark 6 and Matthew 11. And we're going to look at those verses in just a moment. But before we introduce this person to you, we need to introduce another person to you. And when we begin to get in in touch with him and see how he carries out Uh, the things that he's going to do to our lead character, it just racks us with questions about where is God in the midst of these kinds of scenarios? 
it can all leave you feeling like God can just be downright silent sometimes. God can just seemingly be absent sometimes. Well, let's get into talking about the uh, antagonist. He's a guy by the name of Herod. But the question is, which Herod are we talking about? Because there are several Herods named in the New Testament. The first Herod was Herod the Great. And he was king at the time of the birth of Jesus over all of Israel. And he uh, had been... um, a servant, if you will, of Rome. He was not even a Jew, but Rome thought he would be helpful to their management of this part of the world. And so uh, they allowed him to be king over all of Israel. And uh, he was a pretty ruthless guy. This is the one who, when Jesus was born and he found out that there might be a king that had been born in Bethlehem, he sent soldiers to Bethlehem and killed all the male babies. And, of course, God had warned Joseph of that. And Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus had fled before the soldiers got there. Uh, This is the guy who killed one of his mothers-in-law because he got sideways with her. And this is uh, the guy who killed some of his sons because he thought they were trying to ascend to the throne too soon. He wasn't ready to relinquish it. He had some other sons, and one of those is a guy named Herod Archelaus. He became, uh, at the death of his father, king over part of Israel, the southern parts, Samaria and Judea. And then there was another son called Herod Antipas, and he was king over the area called Galilee. And then there was another son called Herod Philip, and he was a king over the area that was north and east of um, the Sea of Galilee. Now, Herod Philip was married to a beautiful woman by the name of Herodias. And all of this is going to make sense in a moment, so hang with it. And Herodias had a stunning daughter by the name of Salome. Now, where the plot begins to get whacked out, you know, because we live in a fallen world, is that Herod Antipas fell in love with the wife of Herod Philip. He fell in love with Herodias. And at some point in the story, Herodias leaves Philip, goes to Antipas, and begins to be his wife and queen over Galilee. And that's where we are introduced to a guy by the name of John. And here you see a map of where those regions are. Now, John is a cousin to Jesus. And John is a guy who God ordained and called to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. You know all about his ministry and what he did. He preached that the kingdom of God was at hand and that everybody ought to repent. Everybody ought to turn away from the way they had been living godlessly and turn toward God so that they could be prepared for the extraordinary thing God was about to do in the coming of Jesus. And when those who heard his preaching repented and changed their ways, then he would baptize them. And thus we call him John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. Well, uh, at this time when Herod Antipas is king over the Galilean region and Herod Antipas steals the wife of his brother Philip, John begins to rail on that. Talk about a uh, public example of sin. He starts calling out the king and the queen and talking about how uh, 
adultery is wrong and they need to repent. They need to get right with God. And Herodias hates John. I mean, hates him. She wants to kill this guy so bad, she can't hardly stand it. But the problem is, John has become so popular with the common people. In fact, they wonder if he's even the Messiah. He has become so popular with the common people, Antipas knows if he kills John, he might just have the entire throne ripped away from him. And so he's not going to touch John as much as Herodias would like for him to. We're going to pick this up in Mark's Gospel, the sixth chapter, and look with me at verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. It is a weird thing going on with Antipas. Not only weird with what he's done with his brother's wife, but how he regards and treats John. So John is preaching and preaching and preaching. Sinner, sinner, sinner. Repent, repent, repent. You can't take your brother's wife, etc. And finally, Herodias wears Antipas down so that he arrests John. John's thrown into prison into this dungeon type area. But because Antipas was kind of entertained with the preaching of John, he'd pull John out every now and then and say, hey, tell me a sermon. And John would start, well, then repent and you need to give up. And he'd just go at it all over again. And Antipas was a little entertained with that. Can we be entertained with preaching? And it be the very word of God that ought to pierce our heart and it just deflect one way off or the other. That's what's going on with Antipas. It's kind of a scary state to be in when your heart gets that hard. And so he'd pull him out, get entertained, put him back, and so on. This went for some period of time. Now, you have to kind of put yourself in John's place. All right? You have been faithful. To do everything God asks you to do. I want you to be the forerunner of Jesus. I want you to get into people's face. I want you to call them to repent. I want you to call sin for what it is and that people need to square it up with God. I want people to get their hearts ready for Jesus. I want you to sacrifice. I want you to be ridiculed. I want you to endure all kinds of things. So John has been faithful to do every single thing God's asked him to do. And doubts, second thoughts, begin to creep into John's heart. See, John's in prison. And he's hearing stories all that are coming to him from all around the countryside Crippled people are being healed. Deaf people can hear. Blind people can see. And so it goes. And John hears story after story about what Jesus is doing out there with all these other people. And he's like, wait a minute. I'm his cousin. I'm 
I've been faithful to do everything God asked me to do. Where is my miracle? What am I doing in this jail? Why doesn't he get me out of here? Do you ever feel that way? You're, you're calling upon God to help you get a job. You're calling upon God to do something in your marriage. You're calling upon God to help you get your kid back. You're calling upon God about something regarding your health. And there seems to be no attention. There seems to be no answer. There seems to be no timely response from God. And meanwhile, you go to share group and somebody talks about how difficult it was getting into the mall. And they really needed a parking space. And they prayed that God would give them one. And right as they came up to the door, a car backed out. They were able to pull in and praise Jesus. He gave me a parking space. And we're like, shut up. You, you've been there? And so John is in jail. And some friends come to see him and talk with him. Pick it up with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples... And said to him, talking about Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Whoa. John is the man who has gone everywhere saying, Jesus is the one. Don't follow me. Follow him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his sandal. Follow him. John has told everybody, it's him, it's him, it's him. And now in jail, he goes, is it him? Because you see, friends, when life gets that painful... That dark, that lonely, it's like your world just shrinks down to the size of your circumstance. And you lose perspective on the bigness of God and the bigness of God's plans and the bigness of God's kingdom. And it's all down to the size of your circumstance. And it can rock you to the core of your convictions. Our faith can be shaken when we face hard circumstances. See, when you go through it, I pray. When I go through it, I doubt. I mean, you've seen that happen, right? You watch the world news tonight. Some tsunami just ravages a country. Tens of thousands of people are dead. Hundreds of thousands of people have their lives wrecked and ruined for generations to come. And you care. It hurts. You say a prayer. You might send a donation. You, you hope that some help and some difference is made for them. And it doesn't shake your faith. 
as awful as tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people dying, as awful as that is, it doesn't shake you. And then it happens to you or it happens to me, it happens to our circumstance. And it causes us to doubt. I lose faith when God is inattentive to my happiness, not yours. Well, as we continue in the story, we see how Jesus responds to John. Before we read that, let me point out how Jesus did not respond. All right? So John talks to these friends and these disciples, and he says, Go see Jesus and ask him for me. Are you the one? And so they come and they go, Excuse me, pardon me, Jesus, I hate to even ask you this, but John asked me to ask you this. Are you the one? And Jesus did not say, What? Are you kidding me? And notice that Jesus did not say, Yes, I am, and tell John I'm going to get him out of jail soon. Here's what Jesus did say. Look with me in verse 4. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. You go tell John what you hear and see. The kingdom of God has come. The power of God is manifest. The rescuing and the transforming of lost lives is happening all over the place. Go and tell him that. And oh yeah, tell him one more thing. Tell him you're blessed if you don't stumble because of who I am and what I do. Friends, think about that. Jesus is telling his cousin, somebody that he loves, somebody that has been faithful fruitful, sacrificial. And John, by the way, you are blessed if what I'm doing doesn't cause you to stumble. That is to say, when I don't get you out of jail and you don't stumble, you'll be blessed. When I don't come to the rescue, when I don't help, when I don't do the miracle... If that doesn't make you stumble, you'll be blessed. You know the rest of the story. Herodias' daughter, Salome, comes into one of Herod's drunken parties one night. Everybody's been drinking a lot and everybody's feeling real good. And Salome begins to do this real sensual kind of little dance thing. And uh, Antipas is just so lustfully taken with the whole thing. He finally proclaims, Salome, whatever you want up to the half of my kingdom you may have. 
And Herodias had already prompted Salome. You tell him you want the head of John on a platter. And so she says, I want the head of John. And Antipas did what Antipas didn't want to do. He killed John, beheading him. And Salome brought the head to Herodias. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, you've got to remember about whom we are speaking. This is John. And Jesus will go on to say in verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. I think John is the greatest person who ever lived, Jesus said. And yet, Jesus chose not to do a miracle to deliver John from prison and from death. Do you get the implication of that? John was going to be in that prison. John was going to die no matter what. It, it wasn't a situation of, John, if you'll just be a little more faithful, God will come through. Uh, John, if you'll just sacrifice a little bit more, God will come through. Uh, God, uh, John, if you'll just be a little more good, God will come through. It, no matter what, This is what's what was going to happen in John's life. Your personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. If Hayden had not gotten the successful heart transplant, that would not reflect how God feels about Todd and Bree. The way God feels about you and the way God feels about me was settled on the cross. When He allowed Jesus to suffer more than anyone's ever suffered and to die a death meant for a sinful criminal when He was totally innocent, He showed how much He cared for you and for me at that very point. Nothing can ever change or alter the reality of how God feels about you. He loves you with an eternal love and with a love that is more sacrificial than we can comprehend. And so the thing that we've got to bring home to our heart is that our circumstances do not define God's affection and love and, and feelings toward us. The cross defines that. Our circumstances are reflective of mysterious, kingdom-expanding, God-glorifying kinds of events that we won't comprehend in this life. Much of it we won't. And so let me ask you, 
When you hear what we're talking about today, how will you respond to that? Will you look back and remember? When, when life gets hard, when the circumstances are so painful, when everything seems to be shrinking down to where you are in your pain, will you, by God's grace, have the courage to look back, remember, how has God loved you in times past? What does the cross mean? How has He been there for you in this chapter and then in that chapter and on that page of life and so on? Remembering other times in your marriage, other times in your parenting, other times in your health, other times in your provisions, other times in your job, other times in, in a multiplicity of relationships. How many times, how many ways has He been there for you in the past? Look back. Remember. And then look outside your circumstances and reflect. And this is one of the reasons why we think it's so important around here for when we take a group to Mexico or when we take a group to Russia or we have a disaster relief team go to uh, Katrina site or whatever is happening for you to be able to go. Because in those kinds of situations, when you're removed out of your immediate context, you begin to see it's a big world out there and it's a big God who's doing a lot of big stuff. And it enlarges your capacity to see the workings of God and to be reconfirmed. He is good. He is great. He is redemptive. He is awesome. Who can give attention to so much in such detail? I want to pray for you about these things today. Will you bow with me? And Lord, uh, as we're talking to you, every friend in the house or listening to this later has some circumstance that's popping up on the screen of their heart right now. You know what it is. And in this moment, would you touch my friend would you just stir a little to say I know I'm here I care I'm never late I am at work God would you just by your spirit help confirm that in our hearts today this has been our appointment with you for you to deal with our hearts. And we turn to you, we yield to you in this kind of way. We confess you are greater than our circumstances. And we confess that nothing can separate us from your love. In Jesus' name.